Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I, you know what? We can do much better than that. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. I thought you had that in you. <laughs> I want to welcome you to uh, our Christmas Eve service. And if I don't know you, I know many people have friends and family with you tonight. Uh, my name is Crystal, and I have the honor of being the campus pastor here at our Ogden Second Street campus. And um, we have been uh, in this beautiful series called Joy to the World. And I don't know about y'all. Should I go on the stage? Can you guys see me okay? Or am I too? You can see me? Okay. All right. Um I could use some joy, right? Like when we were collaborating about what our Christmas series would be this year and someone brought up the word joy, inside of me, like my spirit just leapt because I thought, gosh, I could use some joy. And I don't know anybody that can't use some joy. I was studying and I was preparing for this message and I was thinking back to that night long ago, that night in Bethlehem, and how that young family arrived there. And I thought to myself, you know what? I say this all the time, and I, I say it because it's true. There's nothing new under the sun. I think everybody then could use some joy. And so you see, at the end of the day, we're not so different. We all need joy, we all need Jesus, and we all need to know the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. I was thinking about that night, and I was thinking about the trip that that young family took to get there. And I don't know if any of you have ever been on a harrowing road trip. Anybody? you know all that goes with that. When my husband and I, um, when the kids were little, we loaded them into the minivan and we drove from Utah to Spokane for a Thanksgiving to be with his sister and, and her family. And you know, the ride there was pretty okay. Um, that was before actual DVDs, players and cars. So my husband, if any of you know him, we had our own DVD situation because he rigged it up. You know, he figured out how to put little TVs and everybody had headsets. And that was the year Elf came out. Did it come out or was it just out on DVD? I don't know. All I know is the kids watched it 3,000 times on the way to Spokane. So they were calling out every one-liner, every everything the whole time. And our middle child had chicken pox right before we left, so she wasn't feeling so hot. But by the time we got there, Megan, who was pretty little at the time, was burning a fever. And the reason we found out was because she was outside in, you know, Arctic temperatures without a coat, and her cheeks were flushed, and she's like, I'm fine, I feel great. And she did not need a coat. So we knew she was pretty sick and it was time to leave and go home. So we loaded them up, put their headsets on, plugged in ELF, 
and little Megan's cheeks and her fever, and she was just getting sicker, and it was a blizzard. A blizzard. A whiteout, can't see the road, there's no lines, blizzard. And my husband drove truck for many years, so this wasn't too bad for him, but it was bad enough, I could tell. He's like, whatever you do, do not let those kids take those headsets off and talk to me. Like, they, I don't care if they watch Elf 5,000 more times. Like, do not let them remove the headsets. And I know, like, the whole drive, all he could see was Megan's little face in his rearview mirror, and he knew he needed to get her home. And he kept one tire in kind of off the road, so that was like his marker. And then we were getting to a city in Idaho, and he was like, maybe we should pull off and get a room. Well, traffic was backed up off the freeway of everybody exiting. There was no rooms. There was literally no rooms. And so he was like, I'm just going to white knuckle it all the way home. Like, that's the only choice we have. Because if we pull off and there's nowhere to stay, what are we going to do? Sleep in this van with this sick little girl? And so he white knuckled at home. And I thought, I wonder what it was like for Joseph to white knuckle it all the way to Bethlehem with this young woman about to give birth, not knowing exactly when the baby was gonna arrive, what was it like for him to white knuckle it? And we'll read from the book of Luke. And this is what it says about the birth of Jesus. It says, during those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancee Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea, to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn in stripe, strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. There was no room in the inn. There's such irony and wonder in this story when you think about it. The universe was his. He created it all. And yet there was no room on earth available. One person in all of Bethlehem would take pity, the innkeeper. He allowed them the use of the stable. I'm sure it was an inconvenience. I mean, let's think about it. The town was packed for the census. 
Why was there no room? Well, people were coming from near and far. But when you think about it, when there's no room, don't we tend to make room? You would hope we do. This innkeeper was possibly so busy with other people, he had no time for the baby or this woman giving birth. Their home may have looked similar to what ours looks like right now, right? Full of stuff, full of people, full of busyness. The innkeeper and his wife, why didn't he go to his wife? Maybe she would have liked to have helped this young girl in her hour of need, but she was maybe so busy cooking, cleaning, preparing, and taking care of the inn. Did she miss it? Do we miss it? You see, why didn't they sacrifice their own comfort, their own bed, their own room? This was a young couple with a woman giving birth. But do we expect ourselves and others to sacrifice our own comfort? Do they deny their own pleasure for him? They gave what was left over, what cost them nothing. And yet they were the only ones that did. Here we are, the continuing story. Almost 2,000 years have passed, and we're ready to celebrate Christmas. And how should we celebrate the birthday of our Lord? We put up our nativity sets. We shop. We bake. We decorate. We buy gifts gifts sometimes to those that have less than we do. Um, We watch our Christmas movies. We put on our Christmas PJs. We do all the things, right? And we even come to church, some of us, on this Christmas Eve night. But here's the truth. Here's the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is coming again. He's coming again. What if he came on Christmas Day and interrupted our celebration? I'm afraid most of us would ask him to stay in the stable until the holy day was over. Would we miss it? You see, the problem wasn't that there weren't any rooms available as much as it was that nobody made room. Nobody gave up their spot. No one let the coming Messiah into their home. Back then, they didn't make room in their house, but today we don't make room for him in our hearts. We don't make the room or have the time. Even believers who say they love him compartmentalize their life and don't give him access to every single part. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. 
Is there enough room in us? What part of your heart do you need to make space for God for? What part of your life needs to make room? Where have you not let him in? What have you not surrendered? Is there a part of you and the life that you're living that you have kept off limits? There is a miracle, and this miracle is available to each of us, but it requires us identifying that dark place that we haven't completely given over. We haven't opened it up and surrendered it to God. That place the beauty of Jesus wants to enter, the place Jesus longs to touch, where we just let go and say, okay, there's room. Please come in. I've made room for you. Please come in. There's a moment in which Jesus will enter to approach the darkness of your circumstances with life and light. It's what he loves to do. Just like he did that Christmas night. You see, Jesus was born in a day of political turmoil in which children were being massacred, outcasts were oppressed, rulers were corrupt, and hope was entirely absent. Yet heaven's light shone in the darkness. And he is the same light we need to descend into our darkness today. I want to encourage you that the Lord knows you. He knows every single thing about you. He knows every Thing that you have walked through in 2020. He knows every thought that you have had, every word that you have spoken. There is nothing thought, said, or done that is hidden from him. If our Father God knows when a sparrow falls, don't you think he's keenly aware of where you are and what you've walked through and what you need. After all, God's method of rescuing the world was to enter into it. He longs to enter every part of us in our lives and our circumstances. We simply need to prepare him room. In Matthew 25, 35 through 40, it says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And listen to these words. And the king will reply. The king will reply. Truly I tell you. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's how we prepare him room. We allow him to affect us and change us and transform us. You see, 
Jesus is just as interested in the transformation of you as he is in someone's salvation. Let me say that again. He is just as interested in the transformation of you as he is in someone else's salvation. He cares about our stories. He cares how people are affected by us and the long-term effects that we can have with our faith and how we live. My life looks nothing like I thought it would look. Not one tiny bit. If, if I went back and told 18-year-old Crystal that what she was going to be doing this Christmas Eve night, I would laugh out loud. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. But here's the thing, you guys. I want, at this point, everything I do to have eternal significance. His presence and letting him in, it matters. It does things. It is all part of this great big plan. You see, we're all part of an overarching story that is happening right now. And I don't care if you believe in God or not. You're in the story. You're a part of it. That's the truth, each one of you. So whether you believe that or not, Someday, we're going to look back and see the truth of it. One of the great privileges we have as believers, as followers of Jesus, is to whet the appetite of others for the things of God, the love of God, the opportunities that we have in God. And when I do that, my thirst for Jesus only grows stronger. I ask myself this question, God, if I really, really, really gave myself to you, what could I do? If I really surrendered and believed, what could happen? If I could really see everything that you are doing every single day, how much more could we do for the kingdom? If, think of a sports analogy. If you really knew you could win the game and you were down 40 points, how much differently would you play? You really can win the game. How much differently are you going to play? I trust him. You see, he never lets go of us. He just doesn't. My life has proved that time and again. The world would tell you your life is based on performance. You get good grades, you get into college. You get good grades in college, you get a great job. You do great at your job, you get a raise or a promotion. Your life is 100% built on performance. That is not the way of Jesus. You see, God's love is not based on that, not one bit. At our very worst moment, at our lowest low, at the moment where we are so disgusted with ourselves. He's crazy about us. He couldn't love us more than he does at that moment. That's how much he loves you. Do you put that picture up? 
my friend Suzanne, she's an amazing artist, and she created this piece, and, and you can see the cross and the manger. Ooh. I love art so much. I can just feel what Suzanne was thinking when she made that piece. And it's, it's the thought that maybe Christmas is about letting go of our security blankets. Because maybe Christmas is letting go of the security of masquerading perfection and performance and being secure in our perfect Messiah who saves us from our mess. He saves us from our mess. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you feel like my life is just a mess. I keep doing what I don't want to do. I keep, I'm never going to change. Nothing's ever going to be different. But you see, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that means, Emmanuel. If you've heard that song, O come Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God loved you so much, he couldn't stay away. He could not stay away. He couldn't keep himself from us. Christmas is literally about God doing whatever it took to be with me and to be with you. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Christmas feels different this year for me. I, I don't know. I just understand in a different level how badly we need Jesus and how amazing it is that he broke through our world and came in flesh to die for us and raise again so we never have to be separate from him. Not one minute. He's with us in our mess. He's with us in the good. He's with us in the hard. He's with us because he loves us with such a deep, passionate love. Zany, you want to come up? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move in to our Advent time. We put it at the end tonight on purpose. And you'll see why in a minute. Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your gospel, which is just as simple as this. It tells us that everyone who places their faith in the baby who grew and lived and died as our Savior, who now sits on heaven's throne, who is soon to return and rule the world, will not perish but have everlasting life. 
So if there is anyone here tonight, I just want to encourage you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, don't wait another minute. Do not wait another minute. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is everything that you need in your life, and then some. And for the rest of us, Lord, would you help us prepare you room? Not just tonight, not just tomorrow on Christmas, not just in 2021, but forever, Lord. That our lives would count for the eternal. That we would surrender every bit over to you, God that we would allow you in, that we would say, I have room, please come in. In your precious name we pray, amen. So this is my first year ever doing Advent. Other